0: Just go to indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Hey
1: everybody, it's Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Kyle Bads, and I write about the 49ers over at Ninerswire.com. Joining me shortly is Chris Biederman. He covers the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. We're getting into the 49ers canceling OTAs and their mandatory minicamp. We'll talk about that, why it happened, and and possible fallout from that decision. And then Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus, he is a data analyst there, and he is the VP of R&D. I believe that's research and development, if my uh, business-savvy Uh, helps me at all there. I believe that's a VP of R&D means at Pro Football Focus. He's a co-host of the PFF Forecast podcast with our our friend and friend of the pod, George Chihori. He had a ranking of the top seven head coaches in the NFL and then a ranking of the top five play callers in the NFL. Kyle Shanahan was on neither of those lists, and we had a really good discussion with him on why Shanahan was left out of, of both of those lists for him. So enjoy that conversation.
2: Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. Kittle in Denver territory! Kittle
1: is gonna go! Touchdown! Bosa's got him the second back inside the 30-yard line. Nick Bosa drops Aaron Rodgers for a 13-yard loss. All right, Chris. It's staying nice and cool in East Bay, and it's really great. I've worn jeans the last couple days. Haven't had to been beating the heat, and we're heading to Tahoe this weekend, where the high is supposed to be like seventy seven the entire yeah, weekend. And I'm, I'm very looking
3: forward to it. it. Um, I don't know how to pack because, uh, like, is it gonna be? Is it gonna be like a warm seventy seven? Like, is it gonna be one of those seventy sevens where it's not breezy and it feels like mid eighties? Right. Or is it gonna be like breezy, and then once the sun goes down, it's gonna be cold? Like we, I'm I'm gonna spend a, a couple of days racking my brain about how to approach this Tahoe trip because you'd think like Tahoe in June, like 80s and 90s, but uh, but we'll have to see. I can't wait though.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely going jeans, a hoodie, and then just shorts and t-shirts for sure, and okay. then golf clothes of course because we're <laughs> golfing, <laughs> playing golf. I can't. We're 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 going to be drinking beer while also doing a little golf. Sure. That's <laughs> sure. that's my plan. Yeah. That that's that's what you do when you're when you're bad at the game unlike you who is who's is relatively good at the game. Let's talk 49ers. Sure. Kyle Shanahan announced today, Wednesday, that the team would be canceling the rest of their OTAs. They got through 7, they were allotted 9 and then they canceled their mini camps as well. Now I understand that this got a thing on the ESPN ticker, and there was this, oh, man, the 49ers are so concerned about injuries. But from what Kyle Shanahan explained, they only really chopped off one practice because the goal was to get through eight. They were going to cancel the ninth. And then because they had 89 of 90 players show up for... 91. Sorry, 89 of 91. (laughs) Can't forget Alfredo Gutierrez, the International Pathway Program, who does not count against the 90-man roster, so he is the 91st player. 89 players, all but one player showed up. And basically Shanahan said because of that, he didn't feel the need to get all these extra practices in and they weren't going to go risk more injury for for one extra practice.
3: Yeah, basically what he said was he wasn't planning on having the mandatory mini-camp, which would have been three days next week. In the past... He the mandatory mini camp has been two days, and like they'll they he's canceled the, the last practice to have like a cookout at the facility. But like you said, it, it's it's not a huge deal this year because turnout was so good for the last two weeks. They, they did have just about all of their guys, um, working at OTAs and participating, and, and there was a lot of buy in, which we talked about, uh, you know, well, over the last few weeks. So, what they're missing what they're not going to get is maybe a little bit more intense of, of practices during mini camp than you would get typically during OTAs. The fact that they're mandatory, um, you're going to get guys there, uh, you know, like, because they're going to risk getting fined if they're not there, which isn't necessarily true during OTAs. So it's just, um, you know, I wouldn't read a whole lot into it. I, I do think the injuries are concerning. Um, and we can talk about that too. Like, you know, Tarverius Moore tore his Achilles on a non-contact drill, just kind of coming out of a backpedal, he said. And then a few plays later, um, Justin school tore his ACL and, and pass protection. And, and uh, you know, this comes a few weeks after Jeff Wilson Jr. tears his meniscus. So that's three guys that are, are probably going to contribute or probably would have contributed in a significant way um out for the season or or at least a a significant portion of it um but what Kyle Shanahan said too was that like you know they didn't have an off-season program last year and guys were still getting hurt right Debo Samuel got hurt away from the facility DJ Reed got hurt away from the facility um Richie James got hurt away from the facility so you know injuries happen whether you know they can happen whether you're having practice at the facility or not um you know, to me it's just bad luck. Like, I don't really know, you know, who to blame. I don't know how you how you assign blame here. Like, I know a lot of people want to overhaul the training staff. Like they you know, they did that two years ago and they got a good season from the training staff in twenty nineteen and just the injury luck has not been there. Now, if there's a silver lining, it's that, you know, none of these guys were surefire starters. I think Tavarius Moore probably had the best chance to start. Mm-hmm. Um among those three guys that have gotten hurt, obviously. And Justin School might not even have even made the team because the team drafted Jalen Moore um you know in the fifth round this year to to potentially play, you know, swing tackle or be a candidate for swing tackle and, and play guard on the inside as well. Mm-hmm. So you never want injuries, but I, I think if there is a silver lining, it's that these guys aren't starters and it's you know it's not a Nick Bosa week two situation. Um, where a guy that you have to have if you're going to make a Super Bowl run is hurt. These are just sort of ancillary um, margin players that are important, but they're not going to define the season, I don't think.
1: Yeah, and I think, too, when, when you talk about turning eyes toward the training staff, Jimmy Garoppolo got fallen on by a defensive lineman last year. Richard Sherman dealt with a calf injury and in the Achilles, from the Achilles he tore in Seattle. D. Ford had a back problem that he's had since college. Now it's not the same. I don't know if it's the same back problem, but he's had back problems since college. You get Nick Bosa getting his foot caught in the MetLife Turf. Same thing with Solomon Thomas. It's it's all these injuries that it's not these soft these soft tissue. You know, hamstring pulls and and quad pulls. Jeff Wilson Jr., he got his high ankle sprain uh, getting rolled up on in in New England. You know, so it's all these weird just kind of football-related injuries that I'm not sure how you prevent, you know, an ankle from spraining when a 250-plus pound dude falls on it. You know, so I think you have to also look at Jimmy Ward. He's played 27 games the last two years after playing only um, 27 in the previous three years combined. um, Jason Verrett played the most snaps he's ever played in his life last year. So I I, I think that while there's a tendency to want to blame the strength and conditioning staff, I, I have a hard time doing that because they have had a lot of success as well. And when you kind of look at these injuries, it's a lot of just like I said, stuff that happens during football. One of the things that's interesting, Baxter Holmes from ESPN wrote a piece for about about NBA injuries and the rash of injuries in the NBA this year. And talking to trainers and stuff, they talked about how. One of the additional effects of Covid is all the testing and stuff, throwing off guys' sleep schedules, not being able to work hands on with the training staff and with with the strength and conditioning coaches, and basically that putting players that putting that was putting players behind the eight ball from where they needed to be from a physical fitness and conditioning standpoint. And I wonder too, if there's some of that for the NFL where, okay, these guys can get these training routines at home and I know they talked with the training staffs about what equipment they had available to them and they were tailoring workouts to, to what guys could do, but that's not the same as being in the building and working on site at state-of-the-art facilities with state-of-the-art equipment and uh, the, the best trainers the the world has to offer. So I'm wondering if we're going to see a little bit of a of a catch up from an injury standpoint once, once guys are back in facilities full time and, and able to work with their strength and conditioning coaches and the training staff.
3: Yeah. I, I just like, you know, I, I went on the radio. Um, I went on your radio station uh, yesterday and nice. Ray Ratto asked me a question. He was like, you know, they, they've had injuries for, they've had injury issues for like a lot of the last decade. Is there a commonality um with all these injury issues and and like they've gone through multiple you know training staffs obviously multiple coaching staffs um and like the only commonality i could think of is it's just football you know like i i wish i had a better answer it's to, kind of a say. flippant answer yeah it was a little <laughs> bit flippant <laughs> i wish i i wish i could like say you know there there's you know Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch can't even say that there's a direct link you know, between all of these things, guys just get hurt and guys, you know, guys can be uh, dehydrated, right? Maybe that leads to part of it. Guys can can just be a little bit out of shape. Guys can I mean, there's all sorts of different variables that go into injuries. So, like, I just don't I, I just it's speculation to say that there is a common thread among all of this other than, you know, like it's just bad luck right? Like, like football Man. teams deal with injuries, football players get hurt. Um, so we'll see, like, you know, the 49ers are not, I mean, it's part the, part of the conversation too. And, and I think we've, we've had this conversation on the pod, but it's like, you know, the old school line of thinking practice two times a day in, in full pads in training camp, maybe you're more hardened, um, and more callous to, to go through a football season. Um, or maybe the best way to do it is the more modern approach, which is is all about, you know, tracking data and seeing, you know, you have the, the trackers and guys shoulder pads. They can they can monitor how far each guy runs during each practice, how they exert themselves. They can mm-hmm. monitor nutrition and all of that stuff. I mean, the fact of the matter is, it's just football. It's a physical game. Um you know, I, I would love to to have an answer and say, you know, this is what the commonality is and this is how you fix it. Um, because if I could say that, then I'd probably find myself making seven figures for an NFL team or a pro sports team. Um, but I'm not. I'm definitely not a, uh, a med <laughs> student or doctor or anything of the sort. Um, wow. Yeah. New Breaking news. So I just, you know, I, I don't really know how to talk about the injury stuff other than to say um, – it it's part of the game. It happens, and the 49ers have been incredibly unlucky um, for most of Kyle Shanahan's tenure when it comes to injuries. And I don't, you know, I just don't know if there's anything that's happening that that requires you know blaming somebody for it. Um, you know, there was when when they replaced their training staff after the twenty eighteen season. A lot of it was, you know, their uh, their their head their head trainer had been here for a while. And there was sort of a disconnect between um, the medical side and the training side. Um, and so what the 49ers did was they, they hired all new people and just sort of streamlined the process, right? They created a new department, um, like head of, God, I, head of player performance, I think, uh, the, the performance staff. And, and so they streamlined it so it's all sort of interconnected. And I guess the results have been pretty mixed, obviously. You have 2019 season, which was a relatively successful one from an injury standpoint. And then you have last year, which, you know, like you said, it seems like uh, just a ton of different outliers when it came to crazy football injuries all happening at once. Um, so, yeah, like I just, you know, I'm, I'm not a medical expert to the point where I can point to one thing and say, this is what's wrong. These are the changes that need to be made. I think anybody who... You know, I, I just think it's speculation, right? Like, and that's, it's not necessarily our job to speculate about stuff like that um, w- without finding concrete evidence. And I don't know what concrete evidence exists other than to say they're playing football. It's a physical game and guys get hurt.
1: I think that might legitimately be the extent of it. And yeah. we'll see, we'll see because they focus during this year's draft on finding guys who in their college careers for the most part had been had been healthy that's that's you know I think it's irresponsible if you're foregoing talented players to to pick less talented players that were healthy but if you can marry those two on, on any kind of level I, I think that they aimed to do that this year more so in, in years past
3: yep I agree we'll have right. to see I'm not upset though at uh at minicam getting canceled because those are those are three days that uh, I won't have to be standing out there watching practice.
4: Not that I dislike Same. standing
3: out there watching practice. It's just if you were to say, "Hey, three days standing out here watching practice, write about them, do the post practice zoom thing, or not have any of it eh, not upset mm-hmm. be honest, totally.
1: <laughs> All right, let's talk with Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus. He drew the ire of 49ers fans and the 49ers official Twitter account when he didn't include Kyle Shanahan in his top seven NFL coaches or his top five play callers in the NFL. Fascinating conversation and hearing some of the methodology and his thought process behind those rankings. So enjoy that conversation.
0: Just go to indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: All right, Eric Eager is here from Pro Football Focus. Eric, uh, we'll we'll start off the bat. Why do you hate Kyle Shanahan? <laughs>
2: Uh, very good question Uh, I don't Um, I I like I I think he's a a, you know a good head coach he's certainly had his moments uh, in the NFL Um, and uh, yeah it's just you know kind of an interesting uh, season last year we still had him with an above average rating obviously despite all the things they had to go through as a team Um, but there were just other guys that stood out a little bit uh, this past season and and you know, again, I'm more making the case for those other guys than sort of dinging Shanahan so much.
1: Right. So let me let me fill people in if they if they're not extremely online. Uh, you released a list of the NFL's best head coaches ahead of the 2021 season. Uh, you guys can read that at pff.com. You listed the top seven, Kyle Shanahan not included, and then you also released a list of the five best play callers in the NFL, Kyle Shanahan not included. So let's. Let's start with kind of the the methodology behind. Uh, we'll start with the list of head coaches, so you're not trying to explain two things at once. What Wait, kind of can, went into? Go ahead. Can I ask a question real quick?
3: Sure. Of of course. Course. Before we dive into that, what's it like when a team account tweets at you? <laughs> <laughs> and, and and what's like what's the blowback uh, on Twitter? Like what's it like to be the target of
2: that? You know, I learned a long time ago. Like, um, I learned a long time ago that you just like mute mentions because um you know there are people who who you know i follow who will message me and ask like you guys like i you know i love to come on and talk to you guys i know there's like a mutual respect there and and we can get you know a good conversation going and your listeners can get my point of view um you know uh however many characters you get on twitter is sort of not enough i think to to explain yourself um when right. it comes to, so i'm uh, but yeah it, it was cool i mean look I, if I was the San Francisco 49ers social media person, I would stick up for Kyle too. Yeah,
1: Yeah, a little bit, a little bit the job. (laughs) Um, Kyle,
3: resume. Sorry for my interruption.
1: No, 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 it's fine. That was a, that was a good, a good sidebar um, because I could legit just spend half an hour talking about Twitter etiquette and stuff, but we're not going to do that. We're going to talk about head coaches. So let's start with your, your head coach rankings. You have Andy Reid one, um, John Harbaugh two, Matt Lafleur three. Those are the top three. Um, what methodology goes into that? Because I know you're not just sitting there, you know, jotting down names on paper and going, eh, I like this guy the best, and then maybe throw this guy in. What goes into your head coach rankings? Well, and, and I think the that's the short? important
2: thing to notice too is that like, if I were doing this sort of just by, if I were starting with the names that everybody else, I would have the same list as everybody else, and I probably would have Kyle in there. But I was. You know, going through things that I think are fairly stable year to year, and stuff that, um, in my opinion, you know, you need to consistently do to be a great head coach. Uh, at least one of those things, right? And so, for for head coach, it was a little bit different than an offensive coordinator. Although, if you were a good play caller, that did that did elevate you a little bit. Um, but what I did, you know, for that was I would look at how often did they go for fourth down. When the EPA model said that going for fourth down was better than not going for fourth down. Hmm. You know, Kyle Shannon. So, some of the guys I had at head coach there, I had Kevin Stefanski. Stefanski led the NFL 81% of the time that the model said go for a fourth down in the first three quarters of a game, a close game. He did it. And that gained them an extra 15 points. Green Bay, you know, Matt LaFleur is getting a lot of love here, 75%. Now, we all remember. The the fourth down, um, where he didn't go for it, but like over the course of the season, I'm going to take into consideration the 20 opportunities he had more so than the one he had. Um, but and they gained 21 points uh, of expected points on those. Um, John Gruden, a guy who made the play caller list, but not necessarily the head coach list, 69%, Andy Reid, 66%, Kyle Shanahan was eight for 19, so 42%. Um, basically broke even on expected points on those plays. So again, just, just one thing, but but something there. The other one that I looked at, and this is never going to be a good thing for Shanahan because of the variance they've had to deal with in San Francisco for the course of his four years. Only one of them has been a winning season, which is I look at a coach's record essentially essentially by taking like two score games or more and considering them a full win and taking close wins and considering them half a win. Um, And that's where you get guys like Reed and Belichick almost had the exact same uh, win percentage since Reed took over in Kansas city. You have other guys like John Harbaugh who will, who emerged there. And obviously Buffalo a season ago was just blow torching teams. Um, Whereas San Francisco, you know, has, has not had team success. And I don't think that that's Kyle's fault, but that's certainly not going to raise him up in this metric at all. Um, and then you know you look at play caller rankings. You also look at um, you know how you know how efficient has this team been at generating value at different positions per dollar. And again, this is a some place again where San Francisco is just going to struggle a little bit because even the one season that they've had a lot of success, Jimmy Garoppolo was essentially paid exactly for that success, right? He's they have not been they have not gotten value out, Let's say a rookie quarterback deal um so on and so forth so it's just those things and again like I think when we watch Kyle coach and we we watch his tree and we watch the way he's changed the NFL like we would put him higher than a lot of these metrics would have him but it just so happens that in his San Francisco tenure those things have he has not shined in those things
3: so this all makes sense and it it sounds like you know you're you're definitely focusing on quantifiable data and and looking at you know the last few years when when making these rankings. But if you were to draft uh, if you were to draft head coaches just for the next you know four or five years or whatever, where do you think Kyle Shanahan would rank it, it, or where would you where where do you think he would go in that draft um in your
2: opinion? that that's a really good uh, question. So, um, I would I would certainly take Andy Reid. Um, I would take John Harbaugh. I think I've said this publicly. I think John Harbaugh is in a Hall of Fame. I think Andy Reid and John Harbaugh should be in the Hall of Fame. Um, I'm probably going to go with Sean McDermott of Buffalo. Um, hmm. uh, I think the world of that team. Um, Somebody the
3: Niners the could Niners have hired, hired in the same hiring cycle. Yeah,
2: and he's he's a guy where. Th- Kind of the same thing where, like, he took over the team, and I, re- I believe it was, like, they played the Vikings in, like, the first preseason game, and then the next day they traded Sammy Watkins to the Rams and Calvin Benjamin. Like, they traded – I can't remember what they – then they traded – no, Ronald Darby to the Eagles. Like, they tried to, like, break the whole thing up, and then Tyrod Taylor somehow got them in the playoffs that year, and that was their per- first playoff appearance in that – in the Millennium. And then they had to, like, trade up for the players they wanted in the subsequent draft – take a step back and then of course the last two years they've been in the playoffs in the division title here um I don't know like the numbers really shine a light on Matt LaFleur it's hard to it, it, it it's hard to sort of project what he would be without Rodgers even though in 2019 Rodgers was not the player that he um Rodgers was not the player that that he uh you know, uh, was this past season and they still went through 13 and three. I do think that he does get a bump for essentially taking a team that under McCarthy had slipped to being like a six win team uh, and then subsequently blew up there. Um, I think Belichick and Peyton are in that same conversation, but I'd probably put Kyle in that sort of like after the first three or four guys I talked about in that sort of second group, I even might put Frank Reich there. He doesn't show up really well because, again, he has a lot of the Shanahanian sort of, like, noisy things like, you know, a quarterback retiring on him and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, i I'd probably put Kyle in that sort of second tier, um, which, you know, I, I think I think is fair given his record so far.
1: I think it's kind of interesting. You picked out McDermott and Harbaugh as as two of the top three guys that were kind of just if you said – uh, if you were drafting coaches, who you would take, and McDermott's four, Harbaugh's two in your in your list, do you think there's value in having a coach that doesn't call plays? Like, does that help those guys out? Do you think?
2: Uh, I only. I think it's only a special kind of head coach that can call plays, for sure. Okay. I think interesting. Um, I I think it's really difficult to do, and we've seen a lot of guys fail. I mean, we saw you know, Brad Childerson, Minnesota fail. We saw, you know, I always worried about Eric Bieniemy because he was another re-disciple who never called plays. If he was going to go somewhere and try to show everybody that he was a play caller in addition to being a coach, I was going to be a little bit worried about, um, you know, sort of what, uh, you know, what could happen there. Um, so, you know, again, I, Sean Payton, another one, like Belichick's called plays at times, Stefanski does as well. I, I think for, but then there's guys like Tomlin who you know called the cover two in Minnesota, went to Pittsburgh and kept the th- the three four, and uh, I think did a I think that's a really good stroke of pragmatism on his part, uh, allowing you know Dick LeBeau, who I think. You know, a Hall of Fame person as well to sort of continue that way. So it depends. I I think Harbaugh. You know, for me, why he should make the Hall of Fame is you know you win a, a Super Bowl with a quarterback of the caliber Flacco, and now you sort of reinvent yourself into a guy who goes for the fourth downs who sort of builds the team analytically and and that kind of thing. I think that evolution and it's similar to what, where you're seeing with Andy Reed as well. Um, You know, he used to be a guy that would sit on things and he was fifth best last year in terms of going for the right fourth downs. He, you know, he was nine and one in close games last season and close games has been where he struggled, you know, prior, prior to this season. So um, it's a good question. I, I don't think that's what hold Kyle holds Kyle back. Um I think the two Super Bowl meltdowns for him are more noise than anything. Um but but it's but it is a good question to ask if if I was a young head coach and yeah, I I would be hesitant to call my own plays.
3: So if you look at, you know, the NFC West I, I think is, you know, at least one of the two best divisions in the NFL this year. Um and I think there's some really interesting discussions to be had about the head coaches within the division and, and just sort of, you know, comparing and contrasting because, you know, you have the, you have Pete Carroll, the the defensive guy who's been around forever. You have more of the progressive um, play calling, you know, outside zone play action guys and Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan. And then you have Cliff Kingsbury, who's probably a, a a tier below those guys at least i would say but maybe um it's really hard to hard to say what to expect from arizona this year i feel like they could they could be a team that does take a dramatic step or finds themselves looking for a coach after the upcoming season but just from from your perspective and and all the data that you have how do you see the nfc west shaking out and and how would you sort of construct your your rankings of the of the nfc west coaches
2: well, I think that the, the the Cardinals are a value in the NFC if you're looking at something to bet, just because um, when you look at, you know, the number that, that the market loves. I mean, we we did market implied ratings the other day, um, and the market absolutely adores, uh, you know, San Francisco and L.A., and I can certainly see why, um, but, uh, you know, I think, I think people have to be a little bit weary of, you know, in San Francisco, for example, like they're – You know, they're basically assuming either Garoppolo plays the whole season um, and uh, he plays as well as he did in 2019, which I think are both stretches or Trey Lance, you know, comes off the bench and performs like a number three pick almost immediately, which again, I think is a little bit of a stretch. Um, And and so like they're lined at, you know, 10, 10 and a half wins, depending upon where you look. And then with LA, it's you lose Brandon Staley, who was my number one defensive play caller last season. Um, You know, you lose him to the the Los Angeles Chargers. Um, You also lose two defensive starters in your backfield. Um, You buy into Leonard Floyd, who I think's production is almost entirely a product of playing next to Aaron Donald. Um, We saw in the playoff game against Green Bay, the defense went, like literally when Aaron Donald missed like 15 snaps, they went to hell. Uh, And then on offense, on the offensive side of the ball, you have McVay, who I think you know, historically, he's never done well in our rating system, but obviously he's well regarded. Um, But you have Stafford, who I think has done nothing but get coaches fired his entire career. And <laughs> and, and we're all supposed to assume that he's be- appreciably better than Jared Goff. So to me, the values are, despite what I think a lot of people believe with like Pete Carroll and, and, and so forth, and Cliff Kingsbury, who I think, is a coach that can dig a team out of being bad, but I don't think is good enough right now to take a team from average to great, which is what the Cardinals are hoping he can do. Um, I think the Seahawks are the value in that division at plus 300 um, to repeat.
1: I'll try and keep the the head coach theme kind of going here because I want to I ask you about the 49ers trade up for Trey Lance. Uh, where did you land uh, on that trade dealing three first-round picks to move up and, and take Lance, and then did Shanahan and his offense uh, influence your, your uh, thoughts on that move at all?
2: Well, certainly when they made the trade-up, I thought that it was for Justin Fields, um, and I think there was a time period where people couldn't believe it was for Mac Jones, and, and that sort of, that surprise that everybody had, that that was going to be their approach, I think led to when they ended up taking Trey Lance i think there was like a sigh of relief um you know essentially from like let's say you know my my uh, colleague on the pff forecast george to who is a, a 49ers fan through and through uh there was there was this relief that he had basically uh because he you know they they he, they wanted nothing to do with mac jones and i wanted to take a step back and think like was this actually a good move by shanahan because I think about the quarterback position there. Trey Lance, like, you want somebody in there who I think is a little bit more, like, I don't think that that offense really requires, like, the upper tier sort of talents that Lance has, especially when you're trading that probability for the probability he could be terrible, right? Because you don't have that much time with him at NDSU, you have one year of play you're you're it looks like you want to sit him for a year so by the time he starts a you've already spent the three first round picks on him but b you're you're two years into him having not played a game and you're one fourth of the way through that initial deal if you don't count the fifth year option to me it just didn't like i think on draft night we were all so happy especially the people that bet on like no mac jones we were all happy that the Mac Jones wasn't the pick, and we overlooked the fact that I think Shanahan really did blunder in taking Lance, Trey Lance, ahead of Justin Fields. And then Justin Fields fell to basically the 49ers' natural pick at 12. It was, you know, they would have had to trade a lot less for Justin Fields. And Justin Fields, to me, is the better quarterback. But even if you assumed he was worse than Lance, I don't think he's eight picks worse, right? And so you made a mm-hmm. humongous move just to get, just to, you know, put your, you know, draw a line in the sand there. And the rest of the league, you, I, you certainly, like, you, you certainly didn't, you know, play the game that well, I think. I think you paid way too much for Lance.
3: I have a question about um, just how you guys evaluate the, the 49ers defense and, and where it's at, because it's it's in a bit of a transitional stage going from Robert Sala to D'Amico Ryans, who's never been a coordinator um, how, how do you guys project the 49ers defense this season without Richard Sherman? Um, you know, you still have Fred Warner, Nick, Mose, Nick bose Nick Bosa is coming back, but he's coming back off the ACL tear. D Ford's a massive question mark. Um, just, just given all sort of those unknown variables, what, what's PFF belief about the, uh, about the 49ers defense in 2021?
2: Well, I certainly think they can improve uh, from a season ago. They got good play out of Kerry Hyder. They got, you know, and and he, I believe, is gone. Um, In the secondary, you have some underrated players in Williams. And, um, you know, uh, Verrett's a a nice piece as well. Warner's probably the best, you know, one of the best line. There's not that many off-the-ball linebackers that matter in the NFL, but he's certainly one of them in my opinion. Um, And up front, you got Bosa, as you said. It. I mean, this is exactly like why the Niners have sort of been a middling team because, you know, the one season where everything clicks, Salah has a brilliant season, and everybody mostly stays healthy. It wasn't. It wasn't perfect there, but everybody mostly stays healthy on the defensive side of the ball. There's a lot of high end talent there, and you can be a number one defense in the NFL. And then on the offensive side of the ball, you get the explosiveness of Samuel. Um, you know, Kittle stays healthy and your running backs complement each other really well. The offensive line does well. And that that thing can go 13-3. and three. But we saw a season ago, like, the thing is pretty fragile, right? You look at the teams mm-hmm. that have elite quarterback player. You look at the teams that are a little bit less top-heavy defensively. And, you know, they can withstand injuries better. And because, you know, they're, they're, you know, more weak link and less sort of top heavy. And you see that with like Kansas city and going into the super bowl, the chiefs basically like, were not all that healthy defensively. And on the offensive line, 80% of their lines out. Now that got exposed in that game, but up until that game, they were 16 and two on the season, you know, and and the Niners withstood quite a bit more injuries. Right. But like, but even like the, the first wave of those injuries basically tanked the team. And that's, I think, where I sit on them. Like, I I like them. I like their higher end. Like, I think, you know, they're probably a better bet to win the Super Bowl if you're thinking about w- placing a wager than they are to win the division. Like, the division odds to me are a little too low. Like, I think they're a team with some really high end potential, but on average, they're probably going to disappoint a little bit just because of, you know, the fragility that they've built into that team. And, you know, I guess this is this circles back to what I talked about with the quarterback. It's they're hoping that Lance is turns out to be a Mahomes because then they don't have to worry so much about the injury bug that seems to hit them every single year because the quarterback papers over a lot of that.
1: Their over-under is 10 for this season. Do you like the over or the under there? And then what's the ceiling for San Francisco this year?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I think with any double-digit, anytime somebody puts gives you a double-digit win total... And the quarterback isn't a Hall of Famer. You take under, you know, sure. um, and that seems to work. Even the Ravens last year went under eleven and a half. The Niners went under ten and a half. Um, I'm trying to think of the other double digit win totals. Kansas City was eleven and a half. They went over. They have a Hall of Fame quarterback. You know, presumably. Um, right, so okay. I, I would go under there, but I think they're stealing a Super Bowl, of course. I mean, we they were a quarter away from it just two years ago, and I think that most of the constituent pieces are still there. Uh, in fact, on offense, if you add IU to the to the mix, um, as well as a guy who I think has a really good chance to be Rookie of the Year in Trey Sermon, like I think you have the ingredients to be amazing. Now the question is, is does it all come together? Because – you know, that's what we've sort of seen with Shanahan's seasons. It's, you know, if it all comes together, whether it be the last half of 2017 or the whole season of 2019, that's a pretty good ball club. But, you know, when when some of the things start chipping away, it can go pear-shaped really quickly.
1: That's Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus. He's the co-host of uh, Pro Football Focus uh, forecast, PFF forecast. Uh, check out that podcast with our buddy George Shorri. Eric, thanks so much,
2: man. Thanks for having me on.